Welcome, everyone, to another edition of BAMS Radio here on this Thursday. Uh, is, uh, we, it's October the 12th, uh, the day before Friday the 13th, but it's it been anything but Friday the 13th for Alabama as they continue to roll. They are now 6-0, and ranked number one in the country. Coming off, uh, you know, a closer-than-expected 27-19 win over the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, and again, I'm your host, Judy Armand, here with uh, my co-host and uh, producer extraordinaire, the wizard behind the curtain, Thomas Watts, and also our third amigo, a 1992 national champion uh, and former Alabama offensive lineman, and that is William Redfish Barger. And William, uh, welcome back to BAMS Radio and a, a very special week uh, for those that were a member of the 1992 national championship team, like yourself, 25th anniversary of that squad. Yeah, before we dive off into that, Drew, I, I just started. I had to hit the mute button for a minute on my phone. Um, I wished I could hit the rewind button back to uh, 1989 um, when I was a senior in high school and get you to come time me in the 40. Because uh, when Tom said he was hitting the recorder and it was going to be 10 seconds, you started talking at six. <laughs> so I jumped the gun a little bit there, but well, a little bit, yeah. I was like, man, I I could have had a false start until it still uh, come out well on the forty time. <laughs> Drew had been timing it. Yeah, there you go. Well, uh, well, William, I can tell you, uh, a lot of people are excited about uh, this reunion coming up this weekend. Uh, Coach Dean Stallings, of course, had the health scare uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he was in College Station for Alabama and Texas A and M and their reunion of the nineteen sixty seven Cotton Bowl team that beat Alabama in 1968 in January. Now he will be there for the reunion in 1992, and I know he has been very, very excited about that. For our listeners, uh, you were a part of it. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted out something this week, and I, it's the truth. It's the one Alabama football team of my, you know, youth growing up that I can go back and name every starter, uh, their, their jersey number. You know, er, uh, that team is very special to me, and I know a lot of people – uh, what made that team so special in your mind? Well, Drew, I think it really started, um, you know, in the summer of 91. Um, if you'll go back and remember that that season, you know, we went 11-1. and one. You know, the only blip mm-hmm. on the radar was, you know, that loss down there to Florida in the swamp to a very talented Steve Spurrier coach Florida team. Um, but, you know, the – that that was kind of when the the influx came in from from that '91 recruiting class, you know, that had David Palmer in it, um, Sam Shade, um, you know, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Damian, Damian Jeffries, Jeff, Damian yeah. Jeffries, mm-hmm. I mean, just you know, a lot of really good football players that that came to, you know, college ready to go from day one that were able to factor in, and uh, you know, I think that's kind of when it started. And, you know, things kind of got away from us in that Florida game. You know, I think that game was maybe 10 to 6 at halftime or something like that. We, we got inside the red zone on Florida two or three times, and there was, you know, some fumbles and turnovers. And then the second half was, you know, just a debacle. But, you know, after that game, um, you know, we didn't lose another one um, until – maybe I think the LSU game in November of my senior year in 93. Um, you know, it was just a, a really close-knit team. Um, you know, there was no, you know, like everybody's talking about nowadays, you know, there was no racial strife or racial divide. Um, you know, the players were really, you know, close. Um, we did a lot of things together away from the football field. And, um, you know, it was kind of a mixture of, you know, the, the class, the recruiting class before mine, 
um, the 88 class that Coach Curry signed and then the class that, that he signed my, my senior year in 89. And then, you know, you had guys like Jay Barker and Antonio Langham and Chris Anderson that came in, you know, in 90. And, uh, you know, it was just a good mesh of, of kids. Um, you know, there, there was never any locker room problems or off-the-field issues as far as, you know, the players not being, you know, all on the same page. Um you know, I think when Coach Stallings came in, this was kind of the looking back on it now. Um, the, the the interesting thing to me is, you know, when you look at who you know Coach Curry had as his offensive coordinator and Homer Smith. Um, you know, they recruited players for a West Coast offense, which is kind of a, a finesse offense. So, you know, when Coach Stallings came in in January of 1990, we went out there for spring practice. Uh, you know, Coach Stallings wanted us to be Nebraska. And, you know, there there weren't a lot of 300-pound linemen um, you know, on either side of the football. And, you know, he had, he had this, you know, he wanted to take the program immediately away from, you know, the West Coast offense approach to a pro-style offense. And you saw those struggles and hurdles in, in the 1990 season. Um, you know, Gary uh, Collingsworth was a great quarterback for a West Coast offense, but, you know, he's not the guy that you want throwing the ball 40 yards down the field, and we didn't have the wide receivers to pull that off either, or, or the offensive linemen for that matter. But, you know, I think with, you know, the guys that were on that staff, you know, talking about Mike Dubose, the D-line coach, Bill Oliver, you know, the DBs coach, um, there was a lot of great coaching. Um, you know, we had two guys – um, for the 90 season and the 91 season, uh, talking about Larry Kirksey, the running backs coach, and Mike Solari, the offensive line coach. Um, both of them left after the 91 season. Both of them went to uh, go to work for the San Francisco 49ers. Um, you, know, you couldn't really fault uh, Coach Kirksey for wanting to go out there and coach Jerry Rice. Uh, but, you know, they both went on to have great pro careers. You know, Coach Solari, probably for the last 10 years, if you watch the, uh, you know, the, the, the NFL Combine on the NFL Network or ESPN, you know, you can see him out there, um, you know, putting the offensive linemen through their drills at the Combine. Um, you know, had, a, I think, a two-year stint as the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. But, you know, he's considered a – you know, a premier offensive line coach in the NFL. So, you know, there was a lot of good coaches on that staff, and I think that, you know, filtered down. I, I, you know, one of the things that, that Coach Stallings did um, once he became the head coach is he put a premium on, you know, signing kids, you know, like a Jay Barker um, that grew up in the state of Alabama and, and you know, wanted to be a part of, of the Alabama football program. You know, that was a, you know, a lifelong goal for, for him. Um, and so, you know, that was kind of the, and, you know, and I think every football team kind of takes on, you know, the persona of their head coach and, you know, coach Stallings, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, especially after his appearance, you know, at halftime of the A&M game on Saturday, you know, how is this guy walking around after suffering two strokes and a major heart attack in the last six months? And, you know, the, the thing that really jumps out to me, and I think most people that are listening to this show, you know, remember that, you know, he was one of the junction boys. And uh, I can remember when we went out for spring practice, you know, in the spring of 90, his, you know, his first spring practice. 
you know, he showed up first day of practice in a starched, starched white short sleeve dress shirt and long khaki pants. And, you know, people were kind of scratching their head because that wasn't typical coaching attire. And I can remember thinking, you know, this guy's not going to have the same outfit on, you know, come August 1st when it's 120 degrees. But but he did. And I cannot ever even remember seeing a bead of sweat drip off of his head, um, you know, in the four years of fall camp that I was with him. Um, you know, he's, he's tough as nails. Um, you know, spent time as a, as a roughneck in the oil fields after he was done at A&M before he got into coaching. Um, you know, I saw today where, uh, you know, he and Pat Dye, uh, you know, made a dream come true for the special needs kid from Vestavia, Jake Pratt, taking him to lunch at the Bright Star here in Birmingham. And, uh, you know, I, I just think Drew, it was a perfect storm. We had a great athletic director in Hootie Ingram. Um, you know, Coach Stallings was a player's coach. And, you know, Hootie Ingram was a player's AD as well. And, uh, you know, it was just, you know, a good collection of talented players. Um, you know, they put the emphasis on, uh, you know, beating the three big rivals in, in, in Auburn, Tennessee, and LSU. And, uh, you know, if you go back and look at, you know, Coach Stallings' record, um, you know, he did that over his seven-year career at Alabama. He really did, and uh, what a special year that was. And, and William, uh, I know a lot of the seeds were planted in 1990 uh, when uh, Brother Oliver came, and uh, and, and the, the, really the backbone of all of Coach Stallings' teams were defense. But uh, when did you guys know that uh, that, that, that 92 group was going to be a, a really a, a defense that was going to be kind of transcendent? Well, you, you know, during the, I go back to the, the Texas A&M game last weekend, um, you know, that a lot of people view as a, you know, a, not necessarily the, you know, the A-game performance of this 2017 Alabama team. Um, but, but I think, you know, when it became apparent to all of us was when it came time to, you know, make a play. And, you know, Coach Stallings was really, you know, big on, you know, talking about how, you know, in any organization, whether it's a, a college football program, you know, a pro team or, or a Fortune 500 company, you know, everybody's got a role to play. And, you know, one guy's role was, was one thing. And, you know, my role wasn't necessarily as big as John Copeland's role. But, but everybody had a role to play. And it was your job as an individual to execute that role to the best of your ability. And, you know, if you go back and you watch that season, you know, there was a, you know, a much more sloppy game uh, versus Southern Miss, uh, probably even a sloppier game versus Louisiana Tech. Uh, you, you'd watch uh, a guy that's an NFL Hall of Famer left tackle for Louisiana Tech absolutely abuse Eric Curry. Um, and Willie Rofe. Named, named Willie Rofe. Um, you know, once you got later into the season, Drew, um, I think, if I'm correct in this, there were three games three games in a row in November, and, you know, if you want to count, you know, the SEC championship game first Saturday in December, where Antonio Langham made a game-changing play. He blocked a punt versus Mississippi State and then had a pick six against Auburn. And then, of course, the, the world-famous pick six against Shane Matthews in the Florida game 
um, you know, in the, the first SEC championship game. And that's kind of what that, that season was about. It was, you know, big-time players step up and make big-time plays in big-time games. And, you know, I, I think this story, um, I told this story on Aaron Suttles' radio show today at, at, at lunchtime, probably encompasses, you know, that whole season. And I know I've told you this privately, um, but, but, you know, I think that this needs to be told again. When, when Mario Cristobal was first hired, um, you know, at Alabama for Nick Saban, and, you know, our pass crossed and we realized, you know, that we had talked and hung out, you know, prior to that game down in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, I was asking him, you know, how he felt about, you know, being at Alabama, you know, being in Tuscaloosa is a little bit different than uh, being at Miami or, you know, up in, up in New Jersey when he worked for Greg Schiano at Rutgers. And he said, well, you know, he goes, I've kind of got mixed emotions. He said, you know, I'm excited about working for Nick Saban, but, you know, going over there to the Bryant Museum and seeing all those pictures and videos from that national championship game, it, you know, kind of gives me mixed emotions. And uh, I said, well, you know, why? And he said, dude, he said, I got totally humiliated in that national championship game. And I said, well, you know, what are you talking about? Why are you saying that? And he said, well, I mean, you know, look at what John Copeland did to me. And I said, well, I mean, you know, dude, there's no real shame in, you know, having a top five first round draft pick, you know, beat you a few times. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, you know, we were basically what Alabama is now in the early 90s. You know, we had the dynasty. And, you know, nobody did that to us. And I said, well, okay. He said, but, you know, he goes, that was, a, you know, three straight hours of humiliation on the football field for me. He goes, I, I've never really recovered from it. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, man. He said, you know, John Copeland humiliated me in front of the whole world for three hours. And I sat there for a second, and I said, well, you're barking up the wrong tree if you're looking for sympathy for somebody that had to face John Copeland for three hours once in their life. And he goes, well, what are you talking about? I said, well, why don't you multiply that times uh, three hours a day, five days a week for two years? That's what I had to deal with. So I, I think that thing, that kind of put into perspective for Mario Cristobal. Yeah, and uh, arguably Miami has never been the same since. Uh, they did have a resurgence in 2001 but uh, and then lost the national championship game in 02, but really have not been seen or heard from since, though Mark Richt is you know, trying to change that. It's amazing that since they've been in the ACC, they haven't been in the national championship game. And the thing that resonates with me is I'll never forget, uh, even after that game, uh, I know uh, uh, that, that the Canes, you know, Dennis Erickson, he was so humiliated. He always just wanted to play Alabama again, and it never happened. And it's ironic that Nick Saban, who has a sense of history that Alabama and Miami are going to hook up in the in the first game, it looks like, a 2020. Yeah, and I think, you know, what you would hope for, it certainly looks like they're heading in the right direction. I mean, that was a, uh, you know, a watershed moment for their program last Saturday when they were able to come back at the last minute and, you know, take down Florida State, even though that's a, you know, a crippled Florida State that they took down. Uh, but, you know, he, he's starting to cause problems for, you know, Florida and Florida State on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, if he can, 
you know, keep all that homegrown talent, um, you know, at Miami, you know, in, in much of the same way that Howard Snellenberger and Jimmy Johnson and, and Dennis Erickson did. Um, and, and, you know, with what Butch Jones did, I mean, uh, Butch Davis, excuse me, um, you know, that unbelievably a talented team that Butch, jo- uh, Butch Davis turned over to Larry Coker. Um, you know, Butch Davis is the one that actually deserved that that national championship that they won with the rebuilding job. Um, that he did when he took over in 95 with the NCAA sanctions. But, you know, I, I really think, you know, uh, you know, give them three more years, you know, three or four more recruiting classes, and, you know, that, that Alabama versus Miami matchup in 2020 could be one for the ages. It really could. And uh, I've uh, I, I've even made the, this statement, too. Uh, uh, the, the two corners on that team were Antonio Langham and uh, George Teague and, uh, they're still the greatest tandem I've ever seen at Alabama. But the ironic thing is this group this year with the way Levi Wallace has performed and what we've seen out of Averett for the last two, this is probably the combination. I know Drake Kirkpatrick and Daquan Menzi were very good, but I honestly think this uh, this tandem this year, William, is probably as close as I've seen to those two gentlemen. Yeah, and, you know, that was the uh... – you know, when you were asking me earlier about what made that 92 team special, um, and, and, you know, guys like George Teague and Antonio Langham get, get a lot of the credit, but, you know, really what made their job so easy was the fact that Mike Dubos had that defensive line dialed in so well. You know, they could put pressure on pretty much anybody by rushing three three defensive linemen. You know, if they did come across an offensive line that was capable of handling those three guys, they would walk up Antonio London and bring four. Nobody could handle the four, four-man rush. So, you know, that made those guys on the back end, not to take anything away from their ability. I mean, you know, they were, you know, two of those guys were first-round draft picks. Um, but, 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 you know, only having to cover somebody for two seconds before they got flattened. Uh, you know, makes your job a lot easier as a corner. And uh, certainly, you know, John Copeland, Eric Curry, and Jeremy Nunley provided that, and Antonio London. Um, you know, and that was a special group, a, a very talented group of players, Drew. Um, I think out of the two deep um, that faced Miami in that 1992 uh, national championship game, um, you, know, you kind of have to pull it into a you know a two deep roster to to make the statement come true. Um, you know, seventeen out of the twenty two guys on that two deep roster made an NFL roster, and uh, you know that's you know that's that's getting kind of you know up to you know up to up to par with what Nick Saban does nowadays. But you know, to me, that will always be the gold standard for Alabama defense is I, I kind of giggled last year when, you know, ESPN and some of the media people started talking about that Alabama defense uh, last year as being, you know, the best ever in college football. And I'm like, it's, it's not even in Alabama history. Um, you know, that 92 team gave up, you know, nine points and some change per game. Um, I, I can't even, you know, go back and remember all the, quarterback careers that they ruined. Obviously, you know, Gina Toretto, uh, you know, being the Heisman Trophy winner, you know, going from being kind of a guaranteed first-round draft pick uh, to somebody that never factored in on the NFL level was probably the best example. But, 
No, that 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 in, in in the modern day, you know, where you've got a integrated, you know, white and black college football team. You know, let's go back and just call it 1975. The 1992 Alabama defense is the gold standard. I completely agree. Still, I mean, I've still never seen a team that could get so much pass or defensive line and. Mike DuBose, he had his faults, but, uh, you know, may have been the uh, greatest defensive line coach in Alabama history. Also a great player uh, for the Crimson Tide. Copeland and Curry, I've never seen another tandem at defensive end like them. You had James Gregory at the nose. Uh, you, still, you, you, you brought guys like Jeremy Nunley in the game, Everett Brown. It was just a very talented football team overall. And, you know, guys that you said that uh, all played in the NFL, Damian Jeffries also – who was a young player on that team uh, who went on to a very, very solid uh, Alabama career. But, William, uh, now to kind of switch gears uh, to uh, the current, the present-day team, uh, you talked about some of those gut-check wins that the 92 team had to have, such as Southern Miss 17-10, to 10, uh, 13 to nothing Louisiana Tech. I was in that driving rainstorm uh, when they took on Willie Rofe. Uh, also, the game at Mississippi State, I think it was 30-21 to 21 was the final. A similar type game uh, on this past Saturday night in College Station. Yeah, and, you know, I, Drew, I, I guess the, the most disappointing thing to me um, about last Saturday night, and, you know, I'll get into, you know, some of the circumstances that led to it, but, you know, I thought it was the most disappointing performance, you know, out of Alabama's offensive line for the season. Um, you know, take your hat off, John, for, you know, copycatting Dave Aranda's defensive game plan um, from Alabama versus LSU last November. And, you know, coming up with that double eagle front that, that caused Alabama to have so much problems. Um, you know, I, I know Bradley Bozeman was hurt, but, you know, it was, that was easily his worst game. Um you know, they, they really struggled. You know, Texas A&M uh, going into that game uh, was giving up 118 yards on the ground rushing, and they were the number two team in the country in sacks, and you kind of saw that play out um, Saturday night. You know, there were very few times that, that Jalen Hurts had a clean pocket. Um, and, you know, what I mean by that is, for, for people who understand what I'm talking about, you know, the, the left tackle and the right tackle are responsible for the width of the pocket. The center and the two guards are responsible for the depth. And, you know, what that means is, you know, nine times out of ten, um, the left tackle or the right tackle is going to probably have a pass-blocking breakdown. And, you know, hopefully the center and the two guards have provided the depth of the pocket. You know, if the width on one side collapses where you can step up and still make a clean throw. But, you know, and I'm not going to name names because uh, I, I, I just don't, you know, like singling people out. But when Alabama's, you know, best offensive lineman struggles um, to maintain the width of the pocket, um, that, that tells me that maybe Texas A&M's front seven was a little bit better uh, than we thought it was. And, you know, they backed it up, you know, by being the number two team in the country in sacks. Um you know, my big takeaway, you know, from the game Saturday night is, you know, if, if you know, a guy by the name of Jake Coker or A.J. McCarron had been the quarterback Saturday night, Texas A&M probably would have matched their 11-sack total that they uh, racked up against South Carolina uh, playing Alabama. 
Well, I even said that that might have happened with Tua. There was a lot of people criticizing Jalen, and uh, you know, I felt like uh, that the as I said, it all starts up front. I thought the O line struggled, and it wasn't the greatest day for the wide receivers. Uh, you know, we we saw Calvin Ridley go down. He's been remarkably durable in his two plus years. Uh, but he went down with a bruised thigh, couldn't get it loosened up. And then we saw the meltdown from Robert Foster, uh, you know, and uh, he, he kind of proved, the, to, to, you know, to the people that have always wondered why he didn't play more, you know, why that was the case. I mean, he's had mental issues, missed assignments, didn't show a lot of mental toughness in the game, even though, and they tried to go back to him after his drop. And then he, of course, fumbles the football, their first turnover. Uh, overall, I thought Jalen had two or three throws he'd like to have back. But he had a lot of good ones. Uh, plus, the, I think the officiating was atrocious, but sometimes you have to play through that. And I really thought uh, Jalen threw the ball pretty well and, and then was able to showcase his mobility, get away from some of those pressures, even still rush for about 50 yards. We saw another outstanding effort from Damian Harris. Overall, I'd give the offense about a C, but uh, they, the, the main thing is they found a way to win. Defensively, I'd probably give the group you know, a B. I thought Rashawn Evans was a little hard on uh, you know, the defense saying that they, they really thought they should have played a lot better. I thought they played pretty well. Uh, we I, I just got to tip my hat sometimes to A&M. I thought Kellen Mind uh, made a couple of unbelievable plays. Yeah, and I think that's that's probably, you know, if, if you look at uh, A&M's offense versus Alabama's defense, that, that's the thing that stuck out to me. I mean, this, you know, this Kellen Mond's got a chance to be special, number one. You know, if you look at uh, – you know, all the plays where he was getting harassed and escaped pressure, uh, you know, manufactured something out of nothing and was able to make, you know, plays with his feet, you know, passes down the field. Um, but, but to me, you know, the, the one takeaway from, you know, the A&M game for me would be on the defensive side of the football where you saw, um, you know, Isaiah Bugs, you know, kind of insert, uh, assert himself and be dominant. Uh, but, but more importantly, uh, because, you know, so many people want to, you know, bang on the lack of uh, recruiting success that, that Coach Saban has had so far in this recruiting class. But, you know, seeing two guys like uh, Quinnen Williams and LeBron Ray go out there and do what they did, you know, I think that bodes well for the future on that defensive line. And, uh, you know, it's too early to speculate on, you know, who's going to turn pro, who's going to come back, you know, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Jeremy Pruitt and Carl Dunbar certainly have, uh, depending on who goes and who comes back, I think has a very good nucleus for what could be a very nasty defensive line, you know, at least for the, you know, the first, you know, three to four guys, you know, up front next year. Um, in 2018, I mean, LeBron Ray and Quentin Williams are going to be very, very good defensive linemen at the SEC level. And it's still early, only about the midway point, William. But I did look at a mock draft that was published this week, and it was by a guy that works for Bleacher Report, Matt Miller, and he is well-respected. Uh, he had four first-rounders for Alabama, three in the secondary, uh, which didn't surprise me, Anthony Averett, Ronnie Harrison, of course, Minka being the highest picked in the top five. Uh, also, you know, uh, he had Calvin Ridley in the first round. The one that surprised me was no Deron Payne. Uh, of course, you know, that a lot can change, and I think Mel Kuyper's already got Damian Harris now at 25 on his big board, and Damian is playing at an unbelievable level. And I'm going to ask you about Damian in a second. But 
Are you surprised that Deron Payne would not be considered by everyone a first-rounder? No. Um, You know, I think the guy does a great job of jacking, uh, you know, centers and guards up and being dominant versus, you know, the run. Um, But, you know, go back to the, the 2016 season and look at the number of times that, you know, he defeated his blocker in front of him in a pass rushing situation. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not talking about Deshaun Watson. I'll, I'll give you one good one uh, versus a guy by the name of Danny Epling, um, where, where Payne got back there and Epling just gave him, you know, one pump with the football and, and Payne was done. You know, I think if, if Deron Payne wants to, uh, and, it, you know, this year is probably not a really good year if you're wanting to come out and be, you know, a first-round draft pick for a nose guard or a defensive tackle-type body type. Um, you know, he's got to get better in space um, as far as changing directions, you know, being able to finish plays. You know, it, it's it's great to get back there and affect the quarterback. And I know, you know, Coach Stall, I mean, not Coach Stallings, Coach Saban, you know, talks about that you know, as far as affecting the quarterback. But, you know, on that play where, you know, everybody showed it over and over again last year where he just jacked the uh, LSU offensive guard up, that was great. But, you know, he got back there, uh, didn't change direction very fluidly, and, you know, Etling was able to throw the ball over the sideline. You know, I think if Deron Payne, you know, wants to get into uh, first-round draft consideration, he's got to get better. Um, and be more fluid at changing directions, being able to finish plays. Do you think as a result of that, I mean, I've never really given it a lot of thought, uh, but do you think that it's a possibility that he could return for his senior season? Oh, I think right now, I mean, based on the stuff that I've seen, you know, the same stuff that you've seen, Dre, um, you know, based on the, the early mock draft returns, and, you know, this is a – draft heavy uh you know draft for you know defensive tackle body types um you know unless he can improve his his change of direction uh pass rushing ability and finishing plays off you know we're sitting here you know almost halfway through the month of october uh i would tell you right now that you know he's not going to get a favorable draft grade and he's probably going to come back that would be epic for Alabama because I know they're, they're they need to add some defensive linemen in this recruiting class. But if they could get four years out of Deron Payne uh, and have him be there, uh, be the guy in the middle of that defensive line, you're right. That could be a really special group next year. Uh, and then to you know switch to the other side of the football, Damian Harris. I've made this statement on my show and a few others this week, William. But after watching Damian and what he's done, his sophomore and junior year and he's improved both years and the numbers he's put up uh you know a thousand yards last year seven yards a carry eight yards per carry this year eight and a half really 500 yards already uh i think when you stack him up yeah i know he hasn't gotten as much touches as as many touches as these two gentlemen but i think he is performing at as high a level as mark ingram and derrick henry who won heisman trophies what are your thoughts well my thoughts really don't matter, Drew. I can just tell you, uh, hit the rewind button to three years ago, and you know the guy that oversees that football program down there that we love so much, 
uh, fell in love with Damian Harris, uh, thought he was the best running back on campus three years ago, thought the same thing last year, um, and I think that probably still continues to today. And, you know, you're seeing it now um, with, with the explosive plays that he's making, you know, that, that you know, eight to eight and a half yards per carry average that he's averaging um, is ridiculous. Uh, an elite football player, um, you know, you're seeing why uh, so many people thought he was the number one running back, you know, in his recruiting class three years ago. Uh, you know, he's an elite football player. I think the thing that, um, you know, makes him so special, he reminds me a lot of, of Mark Ingram from the body makeup standpoint, but he's got better vision, um, better lateral quickness. You know, and the thing is a former offensive lineman that I like about him is, you know, he can poke his head up in there, uh, you know, bounce it outside if he doesn't see what he likes. And, you know, if you give him a crease, he's gone. He really is. He's really that that the him uh, dropping the weight has really added to the speed in his game, and uh, he he has been a breakaway threat this year. And uh, right now, I, I don't think he'll be back uh, for his uh, senior season. He's uh, you know uh, putting up such numbers and, and rocketing up the draft boards. Bo Scarborough has not had the year everyone anticipated, but it still wouldn't surprise me if he also declares for the draft which means uh, it's imperative that they sign probably one running back in this class in the fall or before that next fall. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And, you know, you know, I'm not down on Bo at all. I think Bo is a, you know, completely different running back than, than Damian Harris. I mean, I would compare, you know, Bo more to, even though he wasn't as, um, you know, I would compare Bo more to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, maybe Bobby Humphrey, you know, a long strider, you know, it takes a little bit more time to get going forward than it does Damian Harris. But, you know, I like what Brian Dayball continues to try and do with Bo. Um, you know, he's banging in there, you know, getting those tough yards between the tackles. Uh, but, you know, you've seen a concerted effort to, you know, base, you know, against, you know, defenses, you know, the swing passes out of the backfield, um, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, uh, I think Bo Scarborough is probably the best, you know, second-team complement running back in college football right now. I mean, he, he does a great job, um, you know, when he gets the ball and they call on him to do what he does well. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's a big guy. I mean, he's, you know, six foot two. 235 pounds. Damien's more, you know, short and squatty, more quick twitch. Got better lateral quickness. Um, but, you know, if I'm Nick Saban or if I'm an NFL GM, um, you know, what what real benefit do you see um, as far as advising Nick Saban on both Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough coming back for one more year? Um, you know, uh, running back's ability in the NFL is limited to begin with. It's a real uh, short uh, shelf life. Um, I, I expect both of those guys to go pro come January. Yeah, I think no one would be surprised by that. And then 
Uh, yeah, and then uh, as far as special teams, we probably saw J.K. Scott's worst game of his career. Now, the block punt was not all his fault. They did not do a very good job of uh, blocking up front, but he did shank one before that. Uh, and he's had more shanks this year. Now, uh, he hasn't flipped the field as much because I think part of it has been circumstance. He's uh, they, they've uh, he's had some, uh, you know, a lot, uh, several punts around the midfield of the 40 where he's just trying to pin the ball inside the 20. Uh, but uh, first of all, are, is the, should there be any concern about J.K. Scott? And then, quite frankly, I probably would have gone for it, but Nick Saban uh, decides to kick it. I thought Papanastas, you know, kicking the 44-yarder in the clutch was – was uh, uh, you know uh, something that in, down the road that was going to pay dividends with his confidence, and then we saw I thought some really nice flashes from Henry Ruggs via special teams. I'd probably give the special teams uh, about a B minus because of the punting issues in that game. But uh, what are your thoughts, first of all, on J.K. Scott, and then the rest of the kicking game? Well, you know, it's real hard for me to bang on J.K. Scott for anything. I mean, he's been a uh, a superstar for Alabama special teams for, uh, you know, the last three years. Um, you know, I, I don't care if he shanks one. Um, you know, he's earned the right to, uh, you know, get, get a, you know, people not criticizing him for, for his mistakes, number one. Um, I think, you know, the big story for Alabama special teams, you know, that you just touched on, um, you know, if you go back to the spring, you know, the scrimmages and, and the fall scrimmages where we saw the uh, the field goal kicking uh, be so bad, you know, I think Papanostas has been one of the best uh, positive surprises for this team, um, you know, th- through the first half of the season. And, you know, I said this, uh, I don't know on whose radio show it was a couple of weeks ago, um, when Trevon Diggs got hurt, that I thought, um, you know, I did not want to see Trevon Diggs get hurt. I don't want anybody to get hurt. But I thought by default, him getting hurt, it would make the Alabama punt return game better um, just because I think Henry Ruggs is so dynamic. And if you watch him, you know, in his first game in that role, you saw the explosion. You saw how quickly he can change directions. You know, it didn't manifest itself into a uh, punt return for a touchdown. But but I stand by what I said, you know, two weeks ago. Um, I, I still think Henry Ruggs will make the Alabama punt return game better. Agreed. I think he's just going to continue to get more and more comfortable. And then, uh, William, uh, uh, I think this Alabama team uh, is definitely – trying to refocus after the struggles against uh, Texas A&M. They get Arkansas coming to Tuscaloosa. In the past, Brett Bielema's team in 19, excuse me, in 2014 uh, and in 2015 scared the daylights out of Alabama. Last year, Alabama, you know, uh, basically uh, Arkansas defensively couldn't slow the tide down, though they did make it a, a little interesting in the latter stages of the fourth quarter until Minka took one 100-plus yards to the house. But with this matchup coming up, Austin Allen banged up. Uh, they're struggling on both sides of the line of scrimmage. This looks like, to me, a balling could be coming up on Saturday. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, you know, I think Allen's you know, availability will be you know, something that gets talked about all the way up till Saturday at, at 620. But, you know, let's just say that 
you know, he's not available, or, or if he is, can he survive until halftime? Um, you know, Arkansas's offensive line has been very porous, um, you know, in protecting Allen. That's one of the reasons why he's hurt. But, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about this backup quarterback that they've got that's a, you know, a big monster that's six foot seven. Um, but, but he's, he, you know, he's not a dual threat guy. I mean, he, he's a stiff back there. Mm-hmm. Um, Cole Kelly. You know, yes. Um, you know, that they could tee off on him just as well as they could Austin Allen. And, you know, I think that's the um, – probably drew the, the best uh, improvement that I've seen out of, of this Alabama team is, you know, after losing, you know, Terrell Lewis and Christian Miller versus Florida State, and you saw that, you know, that lag over the next two or three games where, um, you know, they didn't get a lot of pressure, you know, they didn't get a lot of quarterback sacks. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of changed last week versus Texas A&M. I think Jeremy Pruitt, um, you know, dialed that stuff up early and off. But, you know, I, I don't think this is a really good matchup for Alabama. Um, you know, you're talking about a head coach that, that his own fan base, you know, talking about Brett Belima. Um, you know, they're ready to get rid of him, um, you know, Back when Bobby Petrino was the head coach, um, this is what I remember, Drew, is, you know, every one of those um, Arkansas versus Alabama games, you know, during the the first part of Nick Saban's career at Alabama, um, you you heard, you know, Gary Danielson and Kirk Herbstreit and all these other, you know, national experts talk about, you know, the, the expert offensive coordinator, expert, you know, quarterback coach versus you know, the defensive coordinator guru, and, you know, it never manifested itself. Alabama beat the shit out of Arkansas, um, you know, the whole time that Bobby Petrino was up there. And, you know, Belima has done a pretty good job. Um, that They've scared Alabama a few times. But I, I just don't see it happening this weekend. I don't either. I mean, I know I thought last week would be one-sided, but I honestly think – uh, if Alabama's focused, they could hang half a hundred on Arkansas. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, as a matter of fact, I think my prediction was like 52 to 10. I just think this is probably the, the worst Arkansas team we've seen in a while. And the fact, Austin Allen, who I have a lot of respect for, Brett Bielema said on his radio show tonight he was probably going to try to give it a go. But uh, I'm, I'm, I agree with you. If he tries to, I'm not sure that he's going to make it through half the game. Uh, with the Alabama defensive line and the linebackers and the pass rush, because I mean, surprisingly, uh, in a way, uh, because I was you wondered how that this defense would react uh, without uh, Christian Miller uh, and uh, Terrell Lewis. Uh, but I think this is a, they've been able to plug the holes pretty well. I mean, Jamie Mosley has played situationally and done a pretty good job. We've seen Anthony Jennings come back and do a great job. Rashawn Evans is getting healthier, and I thought I think uh, I thought I had a really strong game against Texas A&M. Defensively, this is still turning into a pretty uh, salty group. Uh, you know, you get Deshaun Hand hurt, but then it allows a guy like LeBron Ray to get his first sack and start getting his feet wet. And then we saw what Isaiah Bugs did, having kind of his Jaron Reed moment. This has still got a chance, William, to be a, uh, a a really good defense, probably the best one in the SEC. And 
when you consider the talent they lost last year and then the injuries, that's pretty significant still. Great coaching job, I think, by Coach Pruitt and group. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to the Texas A&M game, Drew, I mean, you know, they, they left a lot of sugar out there on the field. You know, if you start looking at the, uh, you know, the drops, passes, you know, the bad pass protection, uh, you know, two, maybe three, you know, one hoppers from Jalen Hurts, you know, that game could have very easily have been, uh, you know, 40 to 19, you know, without the, the late rally from Texas A&M. Uh, that, that's kind of what I expect to see against Arkansas Saturday night. Um, you know, a 40-point performance out of the offense. Um, you know, I think probably you know, we haven't even talked about the, uh, the dynamic that's going on up in Knoxville right now with Butch Jones which is the next opponent. But, you know, I, I think, you know, let, let's just wait and see what this offense can do. You know, I, I kind of felt like Brian Dayball got out of a groove last weekend against Texas A&M. Um, you know, the play calling just didn't seem on par uh, from what had been, you know, the last couple of weeks. But, you know, I expect a, you know, 40 to – 10 to 40 to 17 performance out of Alabama, um, you know, and whether that holds true or not, I think that depends on how well the, the starters do versus when, uh, you know, Nick Saban pulls them out. And, you know, Drew, th- this is one of the funniest things that I've ever uh, researched and, and, and talked about on a radio station. Um, you know, my own father, you know, kind of put me up to this and said, you know, son, um, you know, talking about the uh, the Vanderbilt performance and the Ole Miss performance. And, you know, my dad was kind of upset about, uh, you know, media outlets accusing Nick Saban of running up the score on the teams that he played. And I said, well, you know, dad, you know, why are these people upset? And he said, well, you know, they put the backups in and, you know, they scored 21 points. And I said, well, there's a reason for that. There are seven players on Alabama's second-team offense that at least one recruiting service rated a five-star prospect. So, you know, when you see, you know, Jalen Hurts go off the field and Bradley Bozeman go off the field, and you wonder why the outcome is a blowout, that's why. And that is true, and I, and I think there's a good chance we're going to see much of those guys and many of them in the second half this for this uh, homecoming uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Uh, William, uh, well, we hope to see you there. I know the 1992 reunion is going to be a special one. Uh, a lot of Dabo Sweeney, a lot of his uh, the guys he's got at Clemson, including your former teammate Lemansky Hall, and, of course, the former wide receivers coach on that team, Woody McCorvey, will be there, among others. Going to be a special evening. Uh, no doubt about it. It's going to be great for me to be there as well. Uh, and, I, and I'm sure our compatriot Thomas Watts will probably be uh, watching in Bryant-Denny also. But, William, we always appreciate the time. Thank you for joining BAMS Radio, and uh, have a great rest of your evening, sir. Always enjoy the thoughts. Thank you, Drew. That's William Redfish Barger uh, as we are winding down this BAMS Radio for the last few minutes. And, uh, Thomas, I can tell you, uh, probably for our, just for our listeners' uh, amusement, uh, I know I said 
uh, that, that I could name every starter off that uh, two thousand, excuse me, that 1992 national championship team. And uh, I think before we get off the air tonight, I'm going to do so. I mean, go right ahead. I thought his reminiscing that that's uh, as as y'all are talking, I'm thinking about how I'm going to pitch the episode. And I decided that uh, this is going to be BAM's radio reminisces about 92. So that'd actually be a great way to close. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I can tell you right now, offensive line, uh, center, Toby Shields from Fairhope, Alabama. Uh, you've got uh, left guard, George Wilson. Uh, you've got uh, right guard, uh, John Stevenson, uh, right tackle. Uh, you've got Roosevelt Patterson, left tackle, Matt Hammond. Uh, tight end, Steve Buskey uh, from Baltimore, Maryland. The other tight end was Tony Johnson from the state of Mississippi. Uh, if you want to talk about when Alabama would go to two tight end sets. Uh, the quarterback of the team, of course, Jay Barker uh, from Trussville, Alabama, uh, who was a uh, sophomore on that team, a redshirt sophomore, his first full year starting. Uh, the uh, fullback on that team, good friend of mine, Martin Houston uh, from Cherokee County, uh, from Center, Alabama. Uh, his backup, Tarrant Lynch from Town Creek in Hazelwood. And, of course, Taurus Turner also saw some time from Fort Payne. That was your three fullbacks. Uh, your tailbacks, of course, were Derek Lassick from Haverstraw, New York, who, all, who saved his best for last in the national championship against Miami. Uh, and his two backups were Chris Anderson, who will be on my show talking ball tomorrow, reminiscing Huntsville High grad like myself. He was the second-leading rusher on that team. Uh, and then uh, and Sherman Williams, uh, the Sherman Shake, was the third tailback on that team. So uh, that's uh, your your offensive guys besides the wide receivers. Wide receivers uh, were uh, Kevin Lee uh, from Viger in uh, Pritchard, Alabama. Uh, uh, Prince Wembley, who was a team captain from Miami, Florida, number 32 in your program. Uh, and then you had David Palmer, who was a huge part of that team, uh, even though he missed some time due to some off-field situations as a wide receiver, running back, punt returner, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, jack the original Wildcat. Uh, and then uh, the fourth wide receiver was Curtis Brown, number 85, uh, from South Carolina, who made a huge touchdown catch in the first SEC championship game. Uh, but those were the, that, that's really the offense. Uh, your place kicker was Michael Proctor from Pelham, Alabama, who was really the missing piece that year. Uh, he, uh, he, he came on as a true freshman or in 91 and was unbelievable and then uh, had really settled in by 92. Uh, your punter was Brian Deal of Oakman, Alabama, number 12 in your program. And then, of course, uh, to uh, wrap it all up, uh, you had uh, uh, the, uh, the defense. And defensively, uh, it's still, I think, the standard bear for Alabama football. You had James Gregory start at the nose uh, from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, you had your two defensive ends, two first-team All-Americans, College Football Hall of Famers, in my opinion, and John Copeland and Eric Curry. The third end was Jeremy Nunley, who went on to a very nice career in the NFL, also was had 10 sacks as a senior in 93, but was a very valuable member of that team. Also, Everett Brown was another valuable, uh, from uh, Jeff Davis and Montgomery, another valuable reserve that could play inside on that defensive line. Uh, but... And then uh, linebacker-wise, I mean, it was a star-studded group. Outside, you had Lemansky Hall, uh, who went on to a very nice NFL career, Antonio London, who did the same. Inside, uh, you had Michael Rogers, uh, who shocked Auburn. His brother Lamar played for Pat Dye at Auburn, but he came to Alabama because he wanted to be a winner. Uh, and the other inside linebacker and captain was Derek Oden, 
from Hillcrest, Tuscaloosa, a local guy who was a very underrated guy and played for several years in the NFL. Uh, and then the, the third inside linebacker was Mario Morris from Decatur. He played in the national championship game because Michael Rogers missed that game due to being in a car accident, and he wasn't physically able to go. So Mario Morris uh, played quite a bit. Uh, and then the secondary, the piece de resistance of that group, uh, just the two safeties, Chris Donnelly from Germantown, Tennessee, who transferred from Vanderbilt, had 10 interceptions his freshman year in 1990 before uh, transferring and sitting out 91 and being eligible in 92. He played beside Sam Shade, the strong safety. who went on probably to the best NFL career of anybody on that defense and is now an assistant coach at Samford University uh, with a secondary uh, you know, uh, he and uh, you heard William mention him. He was a, a running back at Winona High School and flipped from Auburn to Alabama uh, because he wanted to get a ring on his finger. And Sam Shade was a great football player, had an interception in that national championship game against Miami. He was number 31 in your program. And then, of course, uh, the corners, George Teague lives in infamy. Uh, he took the manhood of Lamar Thomas. Lamar was never the same, in my opinion, as a player, even in the NFL, after the play that didn't count that's on my wall here in the Sugar Bowl. And then Antonio Langham, uh, the man, I still think the best player on that football team. Mr. Clutch, you heard what Williams said about him. I still think he's the greatest corner to ever play at Alabama. Uh, I'm honored to call him a friend of mine. And he was just one of the greatest players in Crimson Tide history and uh, made so many big plays. And I'll never forget what he said after running the interception back against Florida. He uh, told this to Jack Aroot, and I had this quote on my ceiling for many years. And it said, win on D, count on me. And uh, that was kind of the slogan of that defense. And it was a very talented group. And they had, a, they had also some good uh, nickel and dime backs. You know, Tommy Johnson, number 10, was the nickel back. Willie Gaston, number 22, from Murphy's Mobile High School in your area, was uh, the, uh, the dime back and played quite a bit. Also, Eric Turner, Taurus Turner's brother from, the, from Fort Payne, he played quite a bit at safety also. So it was just a very talented football team and one that I'll never forget. And, of course, uh, I, 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 uh, I, that defense to me is always going to live, in, uh, live on forever. And, and the funny thing is I, can, I just rattled off all these starters and I don't have a piece of paper in front of me. I mean, that group was such a special team, and it was a team that I kind of – I predicted they would win the national championship. Uh, people that have known me for a long time since I was a very young man, I wrote it down in the spring of uh, 1991. And, uh, and I, the only part I, in the top 25, I got the first two right, and that was the only two that mattered. Uh, I got uh, number one Alabama, number two Florida State because uh, Miami tumbled after Alabama embarrassed them. And, of course, Miami had, uh, had uh, you know, narrowly beaten Florida State that year. Uh, and so uh, I got the first two right that I predicted. Didn't get much else right in that top 25 that I predicted uh, in that spring. But I remember turning to my father at the spring game, and I said, Dad, they're going to win the national championship. And he said, are you serious? And I said, yeah, they lost one game last year. They've got nearly everybody back. And I said, I think this is a special group. And I felt like Chris Donnelly was going to be a missing piece after sitting out. I knew how good he had been at Vanderbilt. Michael Proctor had settled in at place kicker and, they just had all the ingredients, and like William said, they had the right team chemistry and everything, and you had you know, all, all the bases covered. You had David Palmer, who had had a great freshman year, and he, he made a big impact at punt return when he came back and kickoff return. Uh, you still had Kevin Lee that could do both things. You just didn't really have a weakness in that team, and uh, they didn't throw and catch you know, w- super well, but they did it just well enough 
because they had the formula with uh, running the football, special teams, and defense. And I, I'm like William. I, I, that group last year almost finished a 15-0 and uh, record. But even if they had, I still don't put the 92 defense you know, below them. I, it's still the standard bear. I, and even when they were the 2015 group won the national championship, they had a great defensive line. But I've never seen one that could rush the passer without blitzing like Copeland Curry, Jeremy Nunley, and those guys. And I just think they're it's a special group, and it's going to be an honor, Thomas, to be there uh, Saturday evening uh, to see them honored uh, at halftime of that game against Arkansas. It'll be a good time, and even more than just the 92 team, and I'm not taking anything away from them. It is homecoming this weekend, and, uh, you know, my parents and I – between us, we have four degrees from the university, so we're all looking forward to getting back on campus. I'm pretty sure we'll be up there early, you know, watching the parade and doing all the homecoming stuff. So it should be a really good weekend topped off with what I'm with you and William, quite frankly, is going to be a, uh, a hog roast, such as it were. <laughs> well, well put, Thomas. I don't think there's any question about it. And we're going to, you know, wrap it up, you know, here on this BAMS radio we hope you've enjoyed us kind of taking a look back at the 1992 team. I enjoyed going back through the starters and some of the key reserves on that squad that I'm still so proud of. Um, you know, uh, Bill Oliver was, you know, he has his faults, but he was a great defensive coordinator who I know got really emotional at the end of the national championship game when he said he just wished Coach Bryant could have been there and been alive to see that team play and uh, that he would have loved the way they competed defensively and it was such poetic justice because of the way Miami ran their mouths and, and basically wrote a bunch of checks. You know, their butts couldn't cash once it came down to it. And they were completely humiliated and embarrassed. And, again, I do find it ironic that on that 30 for 30, when they talk about the U, they never talk about how it ended. And it ended at the hands of the University of Alabama. They got their asses kicked. It was a, uh, a fun night. I've probably never been as keyed up for a game as I was for that one because I had been waiting so long as a, as a young man to see Alabama back on that stage and to get a chance to, you know, uh, return to where they rightly deserve to be, in my opinion, as the greatest program in college football history and to watch them just decimate Miami, especially after what had happened in the 89 Sugar Bowl where Alabama was just outclassed. It was fun to burst their bubble and to uh, put them back in their place. And they had their run and their fun, but it was over in 1992. And except for one glimmer in the early 2000s, the Canes have never been the same since, and they're still trying to recover. But I hope everyone enjoyed this edition of BAMS Radio as we took a look back to the 92 National Championship team and also looked back at Texas A&M, looked forward to Arkansas. We'll be back next week to review the game against Arkansas and take a look at one of Alabama's most storied rivals, Tennessee, as Butch Jones is on the clock. Will he be the coach next week? Will they find a way to win uh, against South Carolina at home? And even if they do, it looks ominous playing Alabama. 41 to nothing, they lost to Georgia. What could the tie do to the Tennessee Volunteers? It, they'll be going for their 11th straight over the uh, their uh, storied rivals uh, from East Tennessee. But we're going to sign off now. Everyone have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the homecoming festivities against Arkansas, and we'll talk to you next Thursday. Roll Tide.